Bards FM podcast. This is Scott Kesterson, and tonight you're listening to a conversation with Ivan Raiklin. This war is real. Fighting is everything. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Tempt not the righteous man to draw his sword. Conviction, righteousness, ruthlessness. To understand tolerance, you have to understand the line of intolerance. War is the teacher, soldiers are the students. They become the bards of war. Good evening, patriots, and today is Tuesday, September 19th in the year 2023. We're on the eve, or getting close to the eve, of Bards Vest. And with this, I've decided to do something I don't typically do. I'm going to run a two-hour show tonight, this one. This is the interview with Lieutenant Colonel Retired Ivan Raiklin. This is fire, and he is breaking news on so many levels, and there's no way I was going to cut this. It is too good. So this is a two-hour block, which I seldom do, but this is worth every bit of it. And as, and as a result, I'm not going to do Fishers tonight, just so you know. We'll pick it up in the morning with Ben Didney, but I figure this was far more important than to, to split into two shows. Uh, Lieutenant Colonel retired Ivan Raiklin is literally one of the most devastating weapons in D.C. right now, and he is on fire. I've told you I am not going to speak about January 6th because I don't have the knowledge. So instead, I brought the expert in that does. You're going to hear more about January 6th tonight than anybody has put out there. And he is breaking information tonight that no one else has heard. This is literally fire. And this is the way information warfare is fought, too, from the inside, in the trenches, exposing and ripping apart things so that it can be seen for the public and we can start waking more people up. Now, on top of it, if you didn't know, Ivan Raiklin is coming to Bardsfest on Friday. So it's going to be a pretty wild week, and you just need to buckle up. This is a long show tonight, I know, but it's worth every bit of it. And obviously, once it's done, we'll post it, and you can go back and re-listen if you can't hear the whole thing. But you need to hear all of it. And it's not going to get any easier if I break it in two. Now, before we get going, we know we're dealing with psychopaths. That's a given, absolute given. And these people are out to break us all in any way they can. And we can all feel it. We can feel the tensions coming. We feel that there's something on the horizon. We don't know what it is, but I guarantee you they've got something up their pocket. So here's the deal. Food is going to be a critical part of their attack, and it's going to be something critical that's going to require us to require to lean on the supplies that we have. You have to have an emergency food plan in place. Now, my Patriot Supply is the nation's largest and best emergency supply food supply company around. And they, you want to check out their three-month emergency food supply systems. They are incredible. So go to preparewithbards.com, preparewithbards.com. That'll take you to the page. These are food systems that have 2,000 calories a day, food that tastes great. It's going to give you some variety, and they'll have a shelf life of almost 25 years. You need to get one for every member of the family. And that has to be a baseline for your emergency food systems. And then from there, build. But you need to have something that you know absolutely, no matter what, is there for you. If you have to grab and go, if you have to bunker in place, whatever you have to do. But we know that these psychopaths are planning something. And you don't want to be caught short. And it's definitely something that you want to invest in and take care of your family. So go to preparewithbards.com, preparewithbards.com. Check out the three-month emergency food systems. 
you will absolutely be happy you got it. It's one of those things that you stick on your shelf and hope you never have to use it. But the reality is that in the times that we live, those types of issues are probably more probable than not that they're going to do something crazy to try to break people and bring them to our knees. So again, preparewithbards.com, preparewithbards.com. Head on over there and check it out today. All right, Patriots, DC's a mess. Let's just face it. As a quagmire, it's, of, it's like anybody that works up there, I'm, and I can tell you, like Lieutenant Colonel Ivan Raiklin feels that when they come home from the day, they have to take a shower to wash all the poo off their body. It's literally a sewer pit. These people are ruthless. These people are reckless. They're vipers. And they don't, they don't care about the American public. What they care about is the preservation of their own jobs and their own behind. But Ivan Raiklin's not that type of guy. He doesn't care. He takes no prisoners. He's intense, he's passionate, and he loves this nation, and he's fighting from the inside like nobody I know, and it is awesome. So tonight's interview, like I said, is it takes some time, but stay with it, because there's not a bit of this that you won't enjoy. And the information that he drops tonight is literally some of the latest and greatest, if you want to call it that way, of what's going on inside on the in, in politics around J6 and what's driving these things. He's dropping names and people that are behind it that we've never heard before. Now, before we get going tonight, one last call out for one of our great sponsors, and that's Birch Gold. Look, we know that in this era of psychopaths, we're also dealing with the potential disruption or collapse of the banking system. And that includes your retirement accounts, which is critical. IRAs, 401ks are vulnerable. They have no backing to them other than the paper value of a dying dollar. You need to get a hold of Birch Gold. All you have to do is type BARDS, B-A-R-D-S, and text it to 989898. Just type the word BARDS, B-A-R-D-S. That's the coolest promo code on the entire web. You know it. We love it. And just text it to 989898. Birch Gold will send you an information packet. Read it. Study it. Understand what your, what your options are. And take the, the initiative to take care of your 401ks and IRAs. Birch Gold are great folks. They specialize in precious metal-backed retirement accounts, IRAs, tax-deferred. It's fantastic. Remember, I'm not, a, I'm not an investment advisor. I don't wear a white coat. I don't play a doctor on TV. But that's why we have experts like Birch Gold ready to help and assist in your decision-making and to ensure that you preserve and protect your hard-earned retirement account in this critical day that we're in. So again, text BARDS, B-A-R-D-S, to 989898. Now, Patriots, with that, buckle up, get yourself a, a drink, whatever you're drinking, hopefully healthy, like water or juice, maybe even some popcorn, whatever's going to take you, and you're going to sit down and enjoy this interview. This is straight up fire. Here we go. Let me introduce you. He's been on before to Ivan Raiklin. we got at least an early little talk here that will kind of set the stage for a lot of what's to come. Here we go. In <laughs> World War II, and there's a great scene in Saving Private Ryan. It's right at the near the beginning. And it's when Tom Hanks, who plays the role of the captain, comes up to whoever's playing the role of that colonel. And he comes off of the beach, and he meets with the colonel. And the colonel's talking to this captain. And he's getting the full assessment of the battlefield. And there's a very candid, very transparent, like no-nonsense conversation that happens between what we would call a battle captain, right, versus a seasoned, tactical, strategic-thinking colonel. That's mm -hmm. World War II. We shift to today, and we look at this COVID con nonsense, and we see a massive shift in the importance of ranks. That's why I was asking about the rank. 
because the rank is lieutenant colonel and lieutenants. And I can prove it. When you take Mark Bashaw and yourself, Mark Bashaw and Pete Chambers, Mark Bashaw, and there's a there's a guy, mm-hmm. Javi, Esca, uh, Javi Escobar, who's he's actually still in, but all these ranks were lieutenant colonels that f- stood up, and it was the lieutenants that were like nonsense throw down. So, and that's just an amazing shift in what we understand where the purity of the rank sits and the and the level of corruption has moved in to our military. That's my opinion, but I think it shows its truth in the battle space, right? So, mm-hmm. all right, let's yeah, it's in. A, I think the small senior ranks are lieutenant colonels that really pushed back. They did. and it, In it, a substantive way. And they've shown a substantive connection with the soldier where the colonels have become politicized and whatever else they're doing. All right, Patriots, today... We have back on the show what I just can consider one of the finest heroes up in D.C. right now. He is also one of the most aggressive information people I have met. He retired Colonel, Lieutenant Colonel Ivan Ranklin. And this man, let me tell you, he wages war daily against these political elites. I could say so many other things about them that probably wouldn't be appropriate on the show. But I am telling you, this man is on fire. He's got... Great new information coming out from D.C. is going to share today. And I think what we're looking forward to today as well is gaining a deeper optic into kind of the lunacy and insanity of how D.C. is working and the the concept of being truly corrupted by absolute power. So, Ivan, welcome to the show. How are you, man? Scott, every time you do an intro, it's like, wow, is, is he describing me? Just totally fantastic. Keep it up. My <laughs> ego is just growing massively. And then once we're done with the show, the family smacks me in the face and I'm just normal dad. It's <laughs> <laughs> no, it's great to it's it's great to be with you for part two. We got a better audio quality here. But more importantly, you're one of the few podcasters, if not the only, that has a strategic contextual understanding of what's going on globally, nationally, to be able to really bring in all the various components and the lines of effort that the enemy is putting on us and then frame it in a way so that a larger audience can understand exactly what they're doing so that when they pull something else off, you know exactly where they're going. Well, thank you. I'm, and that's a, I really appreciate the compliment. I think that's what we're starting to realize is as we are all the, the strong understanding of this, the people that understand the strategic movements of this, like yourself, the guys we've been talking about that we're connecting with, we put these voices together and we're starting to paint a pretty good picture on how deeply rooted this corruption mm-hmm. is and how it truly is, in a certain sense, a transnational, transgenerational cabal that seated itself in national governments that are trying to use nation state covers to bring people to their submit people and cause wars. I mean, I think that's at the core of it. Yes. So it's uh, well, you've got a lot of new stuff going on. I think what we talked about before the show, which I think is so important, is kind of understanding the workings of DC is where I would I'd like to start a little bit um, because it's it's very from my perspective, and I, I was I was told you before the show, it's difficult to understand what is actually happening in DC other than the fact it looks very clearly that we have an occupied force by function that's not supporting the people, and it changed radically after January sixth. Yes. So basically what I wanted to lay out in our discussion today is all the things that are going on, whether it's currently as you're watching and observing with the indictments in D.C., uh, in Georgia, in Arizona, eventually in Michigan, Wisconsin, like all of those election overturning cases 
they all go back to January 6th and then they all go back to this illegally conducted election of 2020. And every single action, this is based on all my research. I mean, when I say this, I am almost certain with the high level of confidence. That's Intel analysis speak to, I have the evidence that I've accumulated puts me at the highest confidence and the highest level uh, of probability that the same individuals that were involved in the heist are the same ones that are covering it up. And we can lay that out literally in detail. And, and the, the main effort, if you will, behind all of it is an entity within our government that is protected through legal framework from being scrutinized. Uh, for example, the executive branch, you can FOIA, right? Right. You can go to the courts and then obtain uh, a legal order for a Brady release of information eventually, right? Mm -hmm. Obviously, they're going to try to push back. The one entity that is essentially shielded from any sort of public scrutiny, judicial scrutiny, or executive branch scrutiny even, is the legislative body of our federal government, meaning Congress, wow. the House, and the Senate. And almost even insiders don't really know how the game is played at the senior most level of the legislative branch. And the only reason why I know so much about it is because when I started this journey of observing, you know, I looked at the election of 2020 and then I saw what happened on January 6th. I thought to myself, is it possible that one person on Capitol of the Capitol Police maybe conducted a transgression of policy at a minimum, meaning maybe there was an excessive use of force or maybe there was just a policy violation, right? That's kind of fair, right? To say maybe one person transgressed. Right. Well, when you apply that to every single federal actor that has a role and responsibility on the Capitol grounds and you investigate each one and it starts to expose that, wow, Quite a few people may have been involved in transgressions. And then who's the leadership of that entity? And then you start to look at Title II of the U.S. Code, which lays out the jurisdiction and the mission and role and function of the Capitol Police and the Capitol Police Board and how those relationships are created to make sure that there's bias at a minimum and then intentional infliction of destruction of constitutional rights, particularly the First Amendment of First Amendment rally attendees on January 6th, I start to come with a lot up with a lot of conclusions that are not commensurate with what we were led to believe by not only the J6 cover-up committee, but literally the entire media industrial complex. And then when you ask the question of why are they doing it in such unison, who are the individuals behind all of it? That's when I started to uncover all this. And I just that's when I started putting out Substack articles, kind of laying out the case by individual or entity within the executive and legislative branch that showcases of who, who needs to be scrutinized. And then in the instances where they're not being scrutinized, whether it be by the media or governmental entities, explaining why that wasn't taking place because they're protecting themselves. Let me go back just a little bit here because I want you to frame something a little differently before we go further. You said high measure mm -hmm. of confidence. You and I understand what that means. It, it, right. I want you to kind of put that in terms of let's say you're going after a very – you're developing a mission that's putting lives at risk 
and you're going to just deploy soldiers, special operations teams, whatever, to do that mission, and you're presenting an intel package that says high measure of confidence, what does that mean in the translation of literally being able to execute and put lives at risk for that outcome? Right. So to put it, put it into kind of layman's terms, if you will, where everybody hopefully would understand, is if I was to create the make the analogy in criminal court, when you're using terminology in the intelligence community, according to the intelligence community directive that lays out your confidence levels, that basically, what I just said, it equates to beyond a reasonable doubt, right? So if, you're, if there's a crime, then you've already met the threshold. The jury will convict. If you're talking about in common parlance on the street, it, it would be equivalent to 100% full stop, okay? Now, the reason the, why we use the terms almost certain, high confidence, it means almost certain, meaning it's about a 99% level of uh, uh, probability that that, that that is accurate. And the confidence level is based on the body of evidence that I've been able to compile where there's so much evidence and there's no evidence that I've been able to find that is inconsistent with my conclusion. Again, there is no evidence that I've been able to find of any weight that ha that is inconsistent with my conclusion of what we're going to get into. That's incredible. It's fantastic. And I think in, in many ways, because we're starting to get the full picture. So let's dig in wherever you want to start. This is awesome. Okay. So the, so let's take a look, look at, January 6th, a little bit more detail. Just to kind of, from where we left off last time, it was a long two-hour conversation, but I've picked up a lot more since we had our first conversation. And that includes, because back then it was just based on research, reading, documentary evidence, and whatnot. Since then, I've had many conversations with insiders, whistleblowers at U.S. Capitol Police. Without going into specific names, let's just say I have interacted on a regular basis with the the most what, what term would I want to use the most credible and uh witnesses if you will or sources that would know details about what happened on January 6 cuz they were there and they were in senior leadership positions okay now one thing that most people don't understand, if you're a January 6th defendant, at this point, we're at almost 1,200. What I'm about to convey applies to every single one of you and every single one of your attorneys. And every single media personality that supposedly already has access to the J6 footage and anybody that wants to get access to the J6 footage and any member of Congress. What I'm about to lay out, even staffers on relevant and appropriate committees didn't know this before I presented it to them at the level that I've kind of researched it. So it's because they don't have access and don't, let me put it this way. I, yes, I have spoken to the former secretary of defense acting Chris Miller about this topic to contextualize what I know. Yes. I have spoken to a former Capitol police chief. Yes. I've spoken to insider whistleblowers whistleblowers and individuals and sources within the Department of Justice, FBI, DHS. I'm probably the only person that has access to be able to do that 
right? With my background and enough credibility to come, you know. And then I've also attended many a J6 defendant trial and then all the J6 transcripts and all and this and that. So here's where we're at. The Capitol Police Board is the entity that decided who was going to be criminalized and at what level they were going to be criminalized to if you're a J6 defendant. So if the Capitol Police Board, who reports to the Speaker of the House and the Senate Majority Leader, is directed by those two individuals on who to criminalize and how much to criminalize them, there really is no mechanism to stop that manipulation, curation, and forced criminalization from taking place. And this is why. So imagine you're Nancy Pelosi as the Speaker of the House in the 117th Congress and you're Senator Schumer, the majority leader in the Senate, and you each appoint a Senate and the House sergeant at arms respectively based on their positions. Those are already two of three of the board members of the Capitol Police Board, and you already have the majority to then direct the Capitol Police Chief along with the General Counsel of the Capitol Police Thomas Tobias, General Counsel, Capitol Police Chief at this point is uh, Thomas Manger, you basically tell them on what they need to do. And that includes, since you control the CCTV footage and there's no audio on the CCTV footage, why don't you just go ahead and only include incriminating evidence as it applies to the J6 defendants that we over at the Intel and Interagency Coordination Division of U.S. Capitol Police, headed up by Yogananda Pittman and her deputy, Julie Farnham, why don't you just go ahead and match the individual criminals, that uh, the those that were in the vicinity of the Capitol, take the CCTV footage, and then why don't you coerce the U.S. Capitol Police officers that were in the vicinity of the person that we're charging and ask that Capitol Police officer to write a sworn impact statement saying that the individual that we're trying to criminalize intimidated, uh, threatened, et cetera, you, even though in reality, that demonstrator was, ye was yelling and asking the Capitol Police officer, hey, sir, how do I help you to disperse the crowd? But because there's no audio on the CCTV footage, the Capitol Police officer that is coerced into writing a sworn uh, an impact statement in order to keep their job to stop being fired, he's coerced by a Yogananda Pittman to make it look like the individual demonstrator was threatening that Capitol Police officer. So the level of internal coercion that was taking place, and again, Scott, these aren't my words. These are words of a source that still communicates with many members of the Capitol Police, and they told this source that that is what they were being told by a Yogananda Pittman. You write an impact statement so that we can match your impact statement with the doctored CCTV footage so that the general counsel of the U.S. Capitol Police can write his criminal report with that doctored manipulated statement footage before it even goes to the Department of Justice. So even if we assumed that the Department of Justice is on the up and up doing everything by the book, meaning the U.S. Attorney's Office and FBI, they're not. But even if we assume that they did, by the time the evidentiary package hits their desk to start the criminal process against the J6 defendant, 
it is already completely manipulated to ensure a 100% conviction rate because the CCTV footage, only the stuff that incriminates an individual is left in there, and it's and the sworn statement or the they call it the uh, uh, the impact statement by the Capitol Police officer is included, and the way that they're able to coerce these false statements or bloviated doctored statements by Capitol Police is because. Yogananda Pittman, who was the head of Intel and Interagency Coordination Division uh, chief uh, back on January 6th, was then subsequently elevated to be the acting police chief from Jul January 8th of 21 to July 23rd of 2021. She was basically using different administrative levers to push people out that were going to expose her failures, or I should say intentional failures of not releasing intelligence as it applies to January 6th, and then also potentially involvement in the placement of the two inert pipe bombs at the DNC and the RNC, anybody that was going to scrutinize her involvement and tying it back up the food chain to the bosses of the Capitol Police Board, meaning Pelosi and Schumer, were immediately pressured into signing either an NDA or pushed out of the department. Wow. I'm going to pause there. Yeah, so I think it's good because I've got a couple of things. One of the difficulties I find in dealing... Did that make sense? Because it's so complicated. No, it makes perfect sense. I and mean, what you're showing here is there is a there was an intentional effort by an inner sanctum of, of, of elite and power-hungry, greedy people who had no accountability to the law that effectively have turned this entire incident into a a way to politically divide the nation, which they have done brilliantly. And this is exactly mm -hmm. where I want to take the next question here because people have asked me recently why I don't talk about January 6th, and I, I'm going to give you my candid answer. One, I don't have the fidelity to make an assessment on what's going on. Two, as we look at the number of people involved in this criminality, which were that we know that there's operators that were implanted by the FBI and other agencies – in that, mm -hmm. and we create a convolution of even not even knowing those that are arrested if they're good or if they're bad, because that's all part of a deception plan. So there's a there's a very difficult space, and so essentially my default is we're going to pray for justice and we're going to hold to that line that we need to find truth, but I'm not going to get involved in the emotional divisiveness because what I see when I look at January 6th is whatever the good or bad or the truth is. It is still being used as a wedge between this created left and this created right division we have here to continue to fuse and ultimately exacerbate a hatred between two sides, which in itself tells me that even in the jurisdiction of, or the judicial process, this is being perpetuated to a degree for a political end of keeping the elites in power and the, and the America divided. So I'll let you comment. No, precisely. So the... When I looked at it before I knew all this stuff that I've researched and learned over the last couple of years, to me, I felt as though, and now it's come out that both the demonstrators first, are, you know, the first amendment rally attendees over 95% of them, probably over 99% of them were just there to exercise their first amendment peacefully. Right. And then the U S Capitol police officers on the other side, almost all of them, probably 99% of them, we're just there to basically 
do their job that day, and then have a you know a peaceful day. Okay. The problem is, is that, and this goes back. The reason why I come up with my assessment is I'm one of the few people that singularly understands the context of the run up into January sixth. It's because of that. Remember the whole Pence card, Operation Pence card memo. Yes. That I tweeted. That President Trump retweeted. Well, as I was, I'm nobody on Twitter until I get retweeted by President Trump. And I'm still nobody, but then the content, people are following it. And so a couple hundred million impressions later, I'm assuming that Nancy Pelosi and her chief of staff, Terry McCullough, and Jamie Fleet, the staff advisor, and and the sergeants at arm, everybody's kind of following along, right? And when I'm articulating that on January 6th, you have... And I even messaged this to Kevin McCarthy directly and to Mike Pence's chief of staff, Mark Short, and say, hey, on January 6th, the Electoral Count Act is unclear on how you vote on the objections. Meaning, is it one person, one vote in the House, or is it one state, one vote in the House? The Electoral Count Act doesn't specify this. The 12th Amendment's the only place in the Constitution that talks about the joint session, and in there it talks about voting if there's a contingent election, and that's the only place they allude to any sort of voting mechanism, which is a one state, one vote mechanism. I basically said, well, if you if you want, there's basically room for you to go ahead and vote one state, one vote on the objection. So when Arizona comes up, Kevin McCarthy can take the role as the majority state delegation chair because 27 states were by delegation Republican, 20 Democrat and three tied which is different than the construct of one person, one vote, where there were 222 Democrats and 212 Republicans with one, I think, uh, had been deceased. So that's why we weren't at 435. So during the objection, when the breakout happened, at the end of the two-hour debate period, if Kevin McCarthy did that and they came back in and uh, when Pence gaveled in, and said, what's the ruling on the objection for Arizona? Nancy Pelosi stands up and says, it's you know it's not sustained because we voted this way. And then McCarthy would have said, point of order, Mr. Presiding Officer Pence. Well, we actually voted to object to Arizona. And then that would have left Mike Pence because he, the House parliamentarian is only binding on the House as a body individually. The Senate parliamentarian is only binding on the Senate when the president of the Senate is in the Senate chambers, of which they were not in. And this is a joint session. So it would have rested upon Mike Pence to to agree or disagree with Kevin McCarthy's ruling. And had McCarthy and Pence done that, and done that for not only Arizona, but Pennsylvania and potentially Wisconsin, as well as kind of providing the evidence thereof with the illegally conducted election in 2020, which the courts have already agreed that that's the case. Those three states at a minimum have already shown that the way they did it was not in the manner in which the legislature prescribed. So that means there's a nullification of those electors. Had it been done there on January 6th, it would have triggered a contingent election, thus an overall one state, one vote, House votes for president, Senate votes for vice president. And on that day, you still had Purdue and Leffler and so that would have been a 52 to 48 re-election of Pence on that side. So because I was articulating this through my social media, and I think the senior leadership of the legislative branch was following this line of logic, let's be honest. I mean, there's a potential that that could happen if 
two people agree for that to happen. And when Kevin McCarthy said that he was going to object, and you're Nancy Pelosi, that's getting a little into risky territory. Because on January 5th, we had 147 members of the House and growing by the minute that said that they were going to object. Now, whether or not that was going to reach the level of 27 of the majority state delegation to do so, uh, unclear. But let's just say Nancy Pelosi said, we're not going to participate in your contingent election style of one state, one vote voting during the objection period. Even if they abstain, the Democrats fully didn't even participate in that mechanism. We still had 43 states with at least one Republican in order to vote one state, one vote, still meeting the 34 state representation quorum requirement on the vote. I know this is like insider baseball, but it's so important to set the frame. So by Nancy Pelosi, I think knowing that this could happen, I just think that on January 5th, when the momentum was shifting for a potential reelection based on this nuanced little path that I'm probably the only guy that was articulating it, but I was also articulating it directly to the key individuals that had the discretionary authority to rule in this manner and not the Eastman methodology or other, like I never talked about the alternate slates of electors because I took it as though uh, there was only one slate of electors that were transmitted, right? Well, even if you assume that both of them were legit, it didn't matter. It mattered how they were going to vote on it, and it wasn't going to delay any of the voting if we did it in this manner, as opposed to like Pence sending it back and, quote, rejecting it. So this narrow path still stands, by the way. The Electoral Count Act has not been amended to fix this unknown on how do you vote on the objection. And so this opportunity still can present itself again in January 2025. But the reason why I'm sharing this component is I was the one kind of in the background, having these First Amendment co conversations of ideation in the background, in my personal capacity to say, hey, there's a gap in the Electoral Count Act. You can potentially do this if you have the political courage to do it. Let's run with it. Well, if you're going to stop this as Nancy Pelosi, how do you do it? Well, you do it through controlling social media, which they did. They censored folks. But you can't censor C-SPAN as it's showing this ha happening and taking place. So their only process was to really stop the process from taking place. And, and in order to control the Capitol grounds that day, they had to reject all the executive branch support that could protect the Capitol that day. And that's why you had only Capitol Police under the control of the Capitol Police Board to basically stand there as sitting ducks as certain nefarious actors, like you said. I mean, you had undercovers from D.C. Metro, potentially other agencies, right, FBI, DHS, HSI, which would have been coordinated by Yogananda Pittman, who was head of Intel and Interagency Coordination Division. So there, there's a lot that I've learned that essentially forces us to need to scrutinize the actions of three key individuals that day to be able to get to and to prove that this was a fed surrection coup those individuals are the general counsel of capitol police we need to we need all j6 defendants to go ahead and obtain all content documentation as it relates to their criminal referrals between yogananda pitman 
the the ICD director, and then subsequently the acting capital police chief, the general counsel Thomas Tobias, and then the current capital police chief Thomas Manger, who basically was the one. Those three coordinated agreement after the midterm election last year for Yogananda Pittman to on leave without pay with no intention of returning back to Capitol Police to make it to her retirement age uh, so that she could collect a pension from Capitol Police while she was working over at UC Berkeley. I think you've you heard of this story, right? UC Berkeley and protected by Zoe Lofgren, congressman, and uh, what's her name? Nancy Pelosi. So the incestuous cover-up is so deep, and I just think I've—I mean, I've identified it, exposed it. But me as an individual is nothing. If we can get to a point where we can educate enough people to apply the necessary scrutiny and pressure on those three individuals, we can actually start getting to the truth and reality of January sixth. You brought up an interesting question of cause and effect, and I really want to dig into this a little bit. You mentioned your tweet, which mapped out a, and I remember the tweet, President Trump retweeted, which has really become rather notorious because it's also what Pence has been denying recently and in trying to step back from his potential role. Was your tweet done before the what they call the Capitol insurrection, what is really what you're calling the Fed insurrection? And I'm asking this because did you reveal a pathway that they suddenly became alarmed with which it perpetuated a, a need to create a Fed insurrection. Thank you for framing it that way. Exactly. That is my assessment. So that tweet went out, I believe, either on December 20th or December 21st. Okay. That tweet went out after the uh, Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, John Roberts, basically coerced the rest of the court to not accept the Texas versus Pennsylvania, Georgia, Michigan, Wisconsin case. Remember that? Yes. And so the next logical step in the sequence of the electoral college process is under the electoral contact at the time, on the fourth Wednesday of December, if the states do not transmit a slate of electors to the seat of federal government, the National Archivist and the president of the Senate, then it is incumbent on the president of the Senate to send a demand letter back to the state's secretaries of state for them to do so. When the wording is as such, you need to automatically know that if the state hasn't submitted it, well, then the deadline, the deadlines in the Electoral Count Act are not fixed. They're just a guide. And number two, the analysis behind this is that if a state transmits an electoral college slate of or uh, a slate of electors that is not consistent with the federal constitution what do you think the first person first federal officer in that constitutional process must do defend the u.s constitution right so the first moment in which a federal officer in the electoral college process has any say whatsoever is on that fourth wednesday which at that time was December 23rd, because up until that point, it was you had a couple of different provisions on December 8th is when the states were supposed to determine which electors that they're going to uh, use to vote. On December 14th is when the states were supposed to have those electors vote in their respective state capitals. And then on December 23rd is when they were, had the deadline to transmit those electors. The argument was that because the contested states well, at least those, 
and there were more, any state that ran their election not according to that state's election law immediately triggered a violation of the federal constitution, Article 2, Section 1, Clause 2, which is the elector's clause stating that it is up to the state legislatures on determining how they allocate their state's electors. So what that means is if, if Secretary of State of Arizona or Supreme Court of Pennsylvania or local county clerk of Michigan or Wisconsin Election Commission said that we're going to run the election due to COVID. We're going to do mail-in ballots. We're going to do all these measures that are not in the election code of our state. If you can agree, Congressman so-and-so, that the state ran their election not according to their election law, then you must object because they just violated the federal constitution to include Mike Pence. So that memo basically said, hey, Mike Pence, how about you send a memo, a demand letter to the Secretary of State, and you give them three options to remedy their unlawful, unconstitutional act. One, have them run a new election according to their election law. And then whatever the result of that, they can transmit their electors accordingly. Number two, why don't you ha ask them to abstain? Or number three, why don't you have the, a joint session of that legislature convene and hold a vote on who they're going to allocate their electors to so that it it supersedes the underlying illegal conduct of that COVID-infested election, which was illegally done and illegally certified. So that framework and that memo, I basically summarized it. In any way, shape, or form did I mention the term alternate electors? Not once. None. Did I say unilaterally Mike Pence is deciding how, which electors to accept and, and who they were going to be going for? Nope. The argument laid out, laid out in that memo is still full stop, untested, and hasn't been exercised. And I find it strange that this, the DOJ, the J6 cover-up committee, they asked 15 different people about me. They never called me in to testify. They used that tweet and they mentioned my name in the third hearing last year. I believe it was in June of 2022. And they referenced that tweet in the memo, right? That was tweet retweeted by Trump. But yet, they don't go into the details of the theory behind it. They use it as the opening salvo of the sequence of events that created the pressure campaign on Pence, but they don't go into the details of that memo because once you go into the details of that tweet and the memo and what it was about, it totally destroys the credibility of Pence. It totally debunks the, the, the J6 cover-up committee it totally debunks the DOJ's criminal criminalization of what they're going after Trump for. So it, it's a completely separate, basically, firewall theory because I don't know why they included it in their fact pattern. It's a totally separate line of effort because that tweet in the memo, and if it was retweeted by Trump, I'm suspecting that Trump read it and understood it, and that might have been the frame of reference that he was thinking about when he thought his attorneys 
that were actually communicating with him directly were referencing, but they weren't talking about the same theory. They were working on alternate slate of electors and then Mike Pence's role on January 6th. Notice that I never said January 6th. I said Mike Pence's role on December 23rd under the Electoral Count Act. They confound it and confuse it. So that memo, I think, started creating discussions through the you know Twitter sphere and all that, and and amongst the lawyers within the Trump camp, uh, I'm assuming based on you know what I read publicly, was that they, I think, tried to use that frame of reference to then use that the rejection of the electors on January sixth. By then, I basically said after December twenty third, the only logical rational way to move forward on January 6th is for what I just described for Kevin McCarthy to stand up and do a one state, one vote objection and, and Mike Pence to agree to it. That's not unilateral either because it requires the collective house as an institution with Kevin McCarthy as it's assumed majority state delegation chair to push in that direction. But you still need the house as a body to vote to object for then Mike Pence to agree and acquiesce to that. It's not a unilateral thing. And so as you hear and see Mike Pence running around trying to defend himself, he has still never addressed the Pence card memo. He has never addressed anything that I have discussed and that has been reported on uh, many times online uh, as it relates to that Pence card memo for those publications that went into depth on what that represented. And the reason why he, like, he can't, because politically if he does, it puts me at the same level as a Mike Pence forcing a conversation for us. Like I'd be happy if you want to host it, Scott, I'd be happy to sit down and do an entire deep dive five hour discussion. I myself alone, he can bring judge Ludig in. He can bring in Mark short, all of his lawyers, everybody. If we want to do it in person, he can shackle my wrists and feet to the chair so that he's not intimidated by me. I'll not bring a single note card or a pencil. They can bring every single reference, everything they want. And then we can step through what his role was on uh, December 23rd, how he did not defend the constitution. So that was his first violation. And then on January 6th, uh, while it was a discretionary move that never got to his level because Kevin McCarthy didn't do what I, I suggested, right? But on January 6th, when he refused to have a quorum by acquiescing to Nancy Pelosi's uh, statement that uh, according to the advice of the s sergeants at arms and the attending physician, we're only going to have 11, 11, 11, 11, meaning 11 Democrats, 11 Republicans in the House, 11 Democrats, 11 Republicans from the Senate to be on the House floor to participate in this joint session. Again, another instance of due to COVID, you didn't meet quorum. That January 6th certification was unlawful. They never conducted a lawful joint session certification. And Mike Pence agreed to being it unlawful. So imagine I'm asking Mike Pence, hey, hey, Mr. Failed Vice President, you want to answer to your lack of quorum component of January 6th? What's he going to do? Does he want to even be in a position to answer that question? No, because it's clear cut. He totally violated quorum on that. And then the next question, I was like, okay, sir, if you don't want to answer that question, why don't you answer, were, did you consider yourself as the acting president when you were ordering General Milley around 
and the D.C. National Guard around on January 6th, prancing around the Capitol grounds? Under what authority were you doing that? Did you invoke the 25th Amendment covertly and somehow transmit a memo to the President Pro Tem, Chuck Grassley, and the Speaker of the House, Pelosi, as you took over as the role of president with the cabinet acquiescing to it so that you could be the savior of the day, according to Liz Cheney during testimony when she said it was you, Mr. Failed Vice President, that ordered the DC or excuse me, the DOD around the DHS and the DOJ. The only authority you have constitutionally to do that, sir, is if you invoke the 25th Amendment removal of the commander in chief. I don't see any evidence of that especially when Nancy Pelosi the following day is asking you to invoke the 25th. So he's he's got a lot of questions to answer to, and I think they're trying to criminalize everything as it relates to Jay, or the illegal election because there were, at a minimum, so many missteps, whether due to incompetence, negligence, and now they're just trying to cover up that incompetence, negligence with their buddies. I mean, why do you think that indictment in Georgia is ta taking place? Because Mike Pence's besties in Georgia are who? Brian Kemp, Brad Raffensperger. Guess who was a former chief of staff for Mike Pence that is very tied into those individuals that I just listed within Georgia? A guy by the name of Nick Ayers. So, like, I've done so much deep dive on this. Well, Sununu, right? New Hampshire is going to probably block Trump off of the ballot. Why? Because Sununu is helping Pence, right? Wisconsin, Speaker of the House over there in Wisconsin. But Paul Ryan is going to leverage the Wisconsin Election Commission. I think they just voted yesterday or today to allow for, based on their own discretionary rules, to keep somebody off of the ballot if they want to under the, four, right, right, the insurrection, 14th Amendment. So all these people are continuing their drive to cover up the initial cover-up and the previous cover-up and the co previous cover-up, and all roads lead back to their initial transgression, Scott. And I argue, like, I've, I've taken this back to when the RNC foisted Pence on Trump to be his handler during the first term after the convention in July of 2016. That's when the Uniparty, the leaders of both sides, decided go ahead, DOJ, FBI, and defraud the FISA court, spy on Carter Page illegally, destroy the initial Woods file that lied to the FISA court so that we can have leverage over the first ever candidate and then ultimately president that was not a general or a previous politician that had, that the party structure had leverage over. And so since that point in time, every action where you see friction against Trump is a direct result of covering up that initial transgression of defrauding the FISA court. And that's why General Flynn is so instrumental in all of this, because they had to take him out since he was the first person within that Trump camp that would have had, that would have known who to ask, what questions to ask to uncover that initial illegal spine. All right. So this gets to, I know there's a lot. I mean, that was like, <laughs> no, I think this is fantastic. I want to comment on a couple of things. So I really want to comment on a couple of things here. First of all, if you can set up that, <laughs> that discussion game on, 
I'll, I'll host it. With Mikey P? Mikey P, or even just one of the lawyers that thinks they want to go toe-to-toe with you. I'd open it. It'd be awesome. So that's that's one, okay? Here's what I see in what you're mapping out. And I I see a covert operation here relying on a lot of retarded people. So let let me bear this out. Okay, so we've got some really devious folks. From my optic, what you've described is I continue to research this. We have some very well trained, devious folks, small amount, that have engineered a massive heist in what we would call a aspect of a color revolution, jacking up the, the, the election and stealing the election for the benefit of their party. But their reliance is we assume that there's like this organized cabal. And I really, the more I look at this, I'm beginning to believe that a lot of those people in Capitol Hill are just retarded. They're just dumb and don't know their job, but just go along with what's easy. And then when you apply pressure that implies even directs towards a blackmail or political leverage, they just give in because it's like it's easier to go here, make a little bit more money for my campaign. Do I don't want to have mm-hmm. this exposed because I happen to know that I diddle kids and I don't want that coming out, whatever that is. I mean, there's a whole range of stuff. So it just takes a small team. <laughs> reminds me of the guys that I worked with a long time ago. It's like, you're going to pull off a coup sometime. You're going to be three of you sitting in a room laughing at how successful you are. and Nobody will know who you are. So, I mean, that's kind of that framing. It's like a small little group of devious people that want to topple the United States, relying on a cadre of idiots that will just obey, mm-hmm. do, and not think. How far off am I on that? A cast of buffoons, as you like, right? <laughs> you're right. So when you say three, I mean, the Trinity are those. So Pelosi and Schumer are like, hey, we're the ones that run the Capitol Police Board. We got two of the three votes. Hey, Sergeant at Arms House. Hey, Sergeant at Arms Senate. Let's put in Thomas Manger and he's going to be our cover up crew. Done. No one can provide scrutiny. Right. And then if you go back to January 6th, it's little uh, going back to it. Their coup had to happen because they were afraid that the Operation Pence card theory may have been acted on because as soon as if you go back as soon as paul gosar stood up and objected and senator uh congressman paul gosar and senator ted cruz stood up to object mike pence you can see him just take a deep breath in and sigh and it was like it wasn't natural it was the way I interpreted it was he's like, oh, crap, we have to proceed with the coup. <laughs> All right. So <laughs> Which wait, I'm going to jump in here a minute. The because... facilitated unlawful entry into the Capitol so that the country would think that there's an insurrection as opposed to, oh, crap, we we're going to have to go through an objection period two hours where the Freedom Caucus is going to showcase to the entire world uncensored the illegally conducted election and it's going to expose mike pence for not rejecting those illegal slates back in december of 2023 right or excuse me december 23rd of 2020 and it implicates him so like even if he wasn't like intentionally criminally like negligent he's just basically doing nothing right it still puts stink on him for not having the insight to at least respond because he never even responded after the Trump retweet. He was just sitting there idly until January 6th. 
It would have been appropriate as a leader to say, you know what, due to my legal analysis based on the guidance that I've gotten from these illustrious attorneys from here to here to here, they're telling me that I don't have a role on December 23rd. Never happened. He's covering up for January 6th based on other people's advice that he's thinking that uh, he can win on, but he still hasn't addressed the elephant in the room, which is the Operation Pence card memo still puts him in a position of being the biggest toxic, feckless, stone-cold coward simp ever in the history of a vice presidency in America. Critical vulnerability is part of your core training. Know it well. Okay. So I, I'm throwing this out because this is so awesome. If I was, I'm looking at this and I'm like, I tell this story all the time. It's like, if you want to understand how special forces works, when you're going to take down a dam, you don't take down the dam. You find that one tiny little piece in that mechanism of the system and you destroy it. And the dam now goes offline for three, six months. The ripple effect on the social society is massive. And all you've had to do is remove one little chip or one little screw or whatever it is that happens to be a perfectly engineered part that takes three months in the supply chain to get, and the whole system stops. <laughs> so, you know what? And you, you know who that screw is right now in today's political climate? Guess who that is? It would probably be you. I mean, if I, you, I mean, no, you're the wedge to take it out. You're not the person. Right, right. It's actually Kevin McCarthy. Uh, okay. And let me explain why. So we talked about the cap. This goes back to the Capitol Police Board. Because think about it. If everything that I'm saying is can be proven to be true, it starts with the release of all the J6 footage, right, video. And then it continues on with all the internal communications and files and documents of the Capitol Police as it relates to the criminalization, right, of everybody. Well, how do we get... How do we get that released? There is a mechanism to get it released. And the reason why it hasn't been released yet is because the Capitol Police Board is not going to release it under its current state. So let's take a look. Three voting members of the Capitol Police Board, one non-voting. The non-voting, this is the U.S. Capitol Police Chief. The current Capitol Police Chief, who's been there since July 23rd of 2021, was voted in by two of the three members, right? Minimum of two of the three members, which is... Nancy Pelosi, Sergeant at Arms, and Senator Schumer's Sergeant at Arms. So what would be a strong assumption about Thomas Manger, the current Capitol Police Chief that was appointed by Schumer and Pelosi? Is he going to be loyal to their interests? <laughs> Do we need to chime in? <laughs> <laughs> I know you're on mute. I mean, that's why the, the long delay. Right. <laughs> so uh, absolutely, right? And you can throw some expletives in addition to absolutely. So the other thing is, well, who are the other three? Uh, so that, that's the current Capitol Police Chief. Now, since he became the Capitol Police Chief in July 21, there has been a change to the Capitol. There has been two changes to the Capitol Police Board. Whereas before you had the architect of the Capitol who was appointed by Trump. By the way, this is how it works. The House Sergeant Arms is appointed by the Speaker. The Senate Sergeant at Arms is appointed by the Senate Majority Leader. And the Architect of the Capitol is appointed by the President, the sitting President, and confirmed by the Senate. So the Architect of the Capitol, uh, Bruce Blanton, was appointed by Trump and confirmed by Mitch McConnell's Senate. Okay? So you got one person that's, you know, technically rhino, maybe rhino light, right? The architect. Rhino light. But then you that's have... Good. 
It's like, right? And we're gonna have to turn. <laughs> we're gonna have to turn that into part of the Bud Light Burb series, right? <laughs> <laughs> so you have that person. So even if he's voting, right, according to you know his whatever political construct there, you still have these two other ones that he's up against. But let's imagine if this guy Bruce is still in place, and now we have a speaker Kevin McCarthy, right? And he appoints his sergeant at arms. Well, his sergeant at arms, Bill McFarlane, is in line with McCarthy. But here's the problem. What's the very first thing that Kevin McCarthy did after he became speaker, along with his chief, or I should say chair of the House Administration Committee, which is the committee that provides oversight over the Capitol Police Board, to include the AOC? Well, it was, by the way, the chair of the House Administration Committee is Paul Ryan's replacement from Wisconsin's 1st Congressional District. See how that plays out? If you don't, let me elaborate. Paul Ryan sits on the board of Faux News, and on January 6th, uh, according to Liz Cheney's committee over there, Mike Pence's running mate's Liz Cheney's committee on January 6th, said that it was Paul Ryan that was calling over to uh, Mark Short to tell him that Pence had no authority to do anything that would be helpful to... Uh, basically conduct a proper objection period, right, on January 6th. So anyway, Paul Ryan's replacement, Brian Stile, is now head of the committee that is supposed to provide oversight and scrutinize the previous J6 committee. Come on, seriously? It's another cover-up after cover-up. So those are the dynamics. Back to the Capitol Police Board. So Kevin McCarthy, with Brian Stile, Paul Ryan's replacement, decide to have a hearing to scrutinize the architect of the Capitol, and basically say that he was using his command vehicle for personal use for his wife and his two daughters uh, on vacation, and they used that as the method to fire the architect of the Capitol. Now, if I was doing the political calculus on this and trying to get to the truth of January 6th and have, have an opportunity for rebuttal from all the manipulated, curated stuff they did the previous Congress— then I would want to have one of my voting members on the Capitol Police Board at least be aligned with me, right? And then have a second one, the Sergeant-at-Arms. So now we have a Kevin McCarthy two-to-one Capitol Police Board so that we're in a position to release the Capitol Police CCTV footage to get to the truth of January 6th. Following so far? Yes. Here's what happened instead. The very first hearing that the House Administration Committee had was they had testify the architect of the Capitol. And after his testimony, he was fired by Kevin McCarthy. And, but the thing is you can't be fired unless it's basically a, an agreement between the president, which some people consider as the president. So basically the resident at this point, <laughs> Biden. Right. So Kevin McCarthy and Biden fire the architect of the Capitol and what does that do? Who gets to appoint the architect next? Well, it becomes an acting position. And guess who the acting architect of the Capitol is right now? They lean left. And guess who the Senate Sergeant-at-Arms is? It's still the Schumer-appointed Sergeant-at-Arms, who's the president of the Capitol Police Board, because she's the only one that's confirmed. So you have a confirmed Senate Sergeant-at-Arms, one vote. You have an architect of the Capitol that's not confirmed. It's acting. So let's just say half a vote goes to the left. So that's 1.5. 
And then Kevin McCarthy's sergeant at arms is acting as well, since there isn't two full members of the, there, there's not two others that can confirm him, right? So it's literally, right now we are at a 1.5 left leaning Capitol Police Board and 0.5 leaning Rhino. So does Kevin McCarthy have the leverage to force the Capitol Police Chief who reports to that Capitol Police Board to release the CTV footage, particularly when that Capitol Police Chief is loyal to Pelosi and Schumer and the general counsel is also complicit in the cover-up, so doesn't want that CCTV footage to be released? Is that maybe why, Scott, that when I requested permission for access to the CCTV footage going back to January as literally one of the first people, maybe after Tucker, to request it, and lower-level officials said, yeah, absolutely, you can show us what's going on. By the time it got to, my request went to the general counsel and the Thomas Manger, the chief of Capitol Police, I suspect they were the ones that said, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. If you give access to Ivan, he's going to prove everything that he's been saying to be true. Can't do that. Do not give him access. Let's give access to other people so that it's going to take them a few months, maybe years to figure out actually what happened. And then even if they do find out what happened, we're going to still hold the keys to determining the release of it. You notice a lot of people have gotten access to it. It still has to go through general counsel and the chief of Capitol Police for its release. You think that they're going to release anything that implicates themselves? They're going to say that it's due to security. We're not going to release that. That's where we're at. It's incredible. We are dealing with a, a, a rancid infestation <laughs> in our in our government. And I think what is really difficult for people and Americans as they look onto this, and this is, you know, principle of where I always talk about is we can't affect strategic, but we can affect local. All politics is local. Focus on your county, your county commissions, your cities, get them cleaned up because in the momentum of that, you clean up the country, but it's in a controllable space. But, but with that, I mean, for, for me, since I'm 15 minutes away from these scum, it's kind of local for me, right? Physically oh, no, I'm, I'm speaking, agreeing, geographically. I'm, no, I'm agreeing with you. 100%. And that's why you see me in these hearings nonstop. And you're going to see me up there every day until they decide to throw me out because I think that I'm getting to a point where I, I think I'm creating danger for them because of what I'm starting to expose. So they might make a mistake and do, you know, no, no, I, wonder, I might I be able to, to force them into a mistake. I want to go to what you said because it is local to you. That's why this is working. So it's like people that are in the D.C. area, they need to be doing what you're doing because that's effectively like going to your county commission, except you're dealing with, right. the, with the worst of them up there. But in the bigger picture of this, of, of what's going on in the country, this cabal of fools that are sitting up there in D.C., are literally walking this nation off the edge. I mean, by definition of their job of, of defending and protecting the Constitution of the people of the United States, there's not one of them up there that doesn't deserve a, a hemp necklace, to be quite frank. <laughs> let me just let that one marinate. Let me laugh a little <laughs> bit with, without a comment. <laughs> um, so... Kevin McCarthy is really the focal point of where we can apply the necessary, what you call local action and national impact, right? And it's because when you understand Kevin McCarthy's role in being that uniparty protector, and that's why he was essentially going to be anointed as a speaker, it's not a done deal. So those that I think that have good intentions in Congress, 
the Freedom Caucus, right? They do not have the power and leverage to decide who their speaker would be to replace Kevin McCarthy. That's just reality. They do have the power to make sure that there is no Speaker of the House. And I think we are reaching a point over the next couple weeks that that discussion needs to be had seriously because we're at a point as Americans, let's, let's kind of think this through. Would you rather, and these are the two options, would you rather have a fully functioning House of Representatives that passes bills and laws with the Senate and signed off by the resident so that the government can now be used to weaponize against you your First Amendment, your Fourth Amendment, your Fifth Amendment, strip your rights away, or would you rather have a non-functioning House of Representatives that does not have a Speaker of the House and can no longer be in a position to pass laws and bills to fund the entire federal government at all for two fiscal years. I've I've come to the conclusion I'm willing to push to make sure that we do not have a House of Representatives can that can fund any function of the federal government until it is body checked. And the only way to body check it right now is through the funding mechanism. So what I mean by that is with a motion to vacate the chair, it could be somebody as simple as Matt Gates. And people are going to say, like, well, who are you going to replace with McCarthy? We're not going to replace anybody with McCarthy. We're going to continue to have a vote for a motion to vacate the chair for the next 16 months until the Uniparty sees that we're, we're not, this game of chicken is not going to stop until the Uniparty budges. And the only way that we're going to relent on the motion to vacate, meaning no Speaker of the House, no legislation, is when they go ahead and defund the components of the DOJ, the DHS, the DOD that have been used to destroy our national security with the clot shot mandate, whether it's the weaponization against J all the J6-related stuff, the First Amendment, the Fourth Amendment, the illegal spying, the illegal FISA court activity, all of it gets shut down. There is no headquarters money for a new FBI headquarters, right? Once we make it through that, I think that is really our only mechanism right now uh, before it starts to get spicy. Well, I'm, I'm going to back that 100% because I've talked about this regularly, is that the only way we're going to get through this is to have the entire Tower of Babylon fall, quite frankly. You're, you're hitting, again, a critical mechanism that can make that and accelerate that, which I think is very important because it's legal and it's lawful. and it's. But the problem we have right now, and you just touched on it, and I've been talking a lot about this, is the fervor in American, America, the American body politic, the people on the ground, it is peaking right now. They are pissed. Mm -hmm. and this Never is, felt or heard this in my life, in my lifetime. Right. No, it's, it's, it's at a whole new level. And, and this is where it goes back to a discussion we had before the show. There is an effort going on here that's becoming increasingly visible to converge to a civil war because they can't get a global war. They're trying hard with Ukraine. It keeps falling on its face. And the only outcome to this, as they start to realize the truth that's percolating up and the cover-up that they're part of that's being exposed, and I, I'm putting them all in this boat because even though they might be half dumb or retarded, the fact of the, is that they're still complicit in these actions. Mm -hmm. And so the outcome is create a civil disturbance, right. a civil unrest. Dere dereliction of duty. For right. those that are 
not really complicit in. Right. So there you go. And then so a better term perhaps than retarded still effectively the same thing. So <laughs> more 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 legally apropos to what we need to be speaking of. But nonetheless, we have dealing with people that are part are seeing that an insurrection of a, a national level destabilization with the behind the issues issue. We're starting to see BLM rise again. We see the the flow of really bad criminal elements across our border. We're seeing the drug cartels taking greater hold in our inner cities. These are areas that you can fuse overnight into a massive civil uprising that then taxes the country to such a degree, creates such chaos that they again walk scot-free and then they literally can step over here and go, we have an answer. We're going to go to martial law as an example. Yeah. So everything that we've seen going back to that original transgression, it was, it was somewhat benign in 2016. Okay. Whatever spying on a defrauding the FISA court on a particular individual as part of a campaign, that doesn't have much impact, right, outside of the individuals that were targeted, right, like Carter Page and maybe you know, the president, uh, the presidential campaign of Trump. Okay, great. But the level of escalation that has been going on, I mean, from, from that point on to the cover-up with the appointment of Mueller to cover up that in, that previous transgression to make it look like there was a Russia, Russia, Russia. And then it expands the network of people that are required in order to conduct the cover-up. Because then you start to bring in actors like Adam Bolshev and then Eric Swallowell, right? And then you start to continue that on to where the, the, the chairman of the Senate Select Committee on Intelligence, Richard Burr, and then those folks. And then a Lindsey Graham, because he's the chair of the judiciary that also probably knew that all this spying was going on since, come on, you're the chair of the judiciary. You provide oversight over the FISA court activity as well as everything in the Department of Justice and the FBI, right? So then it continues to expand. And then it the attempted coups that occurred under Mike, the failed vice presidency of Mike Pence, through his chief of staff, Joshua Pitcock, and his wife, uh, Catherine Seaman, who was working for, Car uh, what's his name, Peter Strzok. Like all these incestuous generational, like you were saying earlier in the show at the beginning, the general generational incestuous relationships that they basically force themselves and pigeonhole themselves into having to cover up for initially it's a, you know, a slight transgression. And then it's like, oh crap, I was kind of involved in that. Now we need to escalate and escalate. And that's why we're seeing, when, when people see the escalation on Trump and those that were involved in exposing the illegal 2020 election, it's their way of telling us that they're about to collapse. So the only logical response to their escalation is to continue to expose them as individual generals or players on the battlefield are being attacked in the courts, this is not the time to, to cower away in silence and say, ooh, they might come after me next. You need to have the mindset of bring it on, come after me next, because I'm going to inspire 10 to 100 others behind me. And at some point, this game of chicken is going to end. And if you, we have the mindset of, we're not going to be the ones on the losing end of chicken. It's either mutually assured destruction or we win at this point. Man, I so support that because we really have no other option at this point in time. Either that or we just count down and kiss our boots and not doing that. And then quite frankly, right. we, we are in an, it's a really interesting point you bring because 
this is a strategy of hope and optimism, quite frankly, that you're giving because it's it's legitimate and it works as long as we hold the line and absolutely defy everything they're doing and just refuse to accept where they are. They lose control. And I think at the end, of, end we, we alluded to a little bit ago. They're illegitimate. Why, why comply with an illegitimate entity? 100%. When, when you start off with that, then everything else kind of falls into place. I fully agree. I mean, it's interesting because the issue of Trump and the legal issues, the way I see it, and I think it's being misread by a lot of people out here because they see that as a war on him. And I agree that by focal point it is, but I, tell me what you think here, because the way I see as this is it is a war to divide America and keep us divided. No. So when people say it's a war on him, it's it's he's the avatar representing a movement that will expose all of their corruption. And if he's back in, let's put it this way, imagine Trump secures a second term and, and, and they don't do to him what the same organizations and institutions did to the Kennedys and Martin Luther King Jr. in the 60s, right? Let's just think about that. Who comes in with him? A secretary of retribution by the name of Ivan Raikland, okay? And what's the first act that I do as secretary of retribution? I hire every single J6 defendant, every single one. And you know how like in, in military circles, you, you give commanders guidance? Mm -hmm. The guidance will be simple. It will be go forth and do great things as long as it lines up with the Department of Retribution. That's good. So if you know that and you're in a position of quasi-power right now, what are you willing to do to stop that from coming in your direction on January 20th, 2025? This is literally the final stand of the Nazis in Berlin. I'm, I'm not kidding. This is literally it because you're seeing. I'm, I'm serious, Scott. Like, yeah, I will volunteer as a intern to be the secretary of retribution. Why do you think I've been creating my Substack series? I'm identifying each individual actor. Yep. And then when we take over the lovers of power, it's like, hey, here's all the evidence. It's already there. Now we have an actionable arm of a legitimate government to be able to conduct a cleansing, if you will. It has to be. If so. they think that they treated the J6 defendants with intimidation and fury... Now, those are kids' gloves when we come back in. 100%. We have to be that way. And I'm 100% with you on this. And, and it's not everybody. It's Right now, I only have a few hundred that are in D.C. that face those levels of consequences. Now, that's a lot. I get it. But it's only a few hundred in the grand scheme of things. I think one of the things that we have to look at here as well, Ivan, and I talk a lot about this, is we can take out that core node, which is essentially what we're talking about here, because there, there's a central node here that's causing a large percentage of this problem. There are good people in the ranks. The problem we have as a nation is we have those that have been willfully complicit, and we have those that have chosen to just do their job and not question their role. Right, and you have those buffoons like you were talking about in every institution. Because let's be honest, a lot of folks may, well, I don't know what now, but previously trusted the system and trusted that the 
the critical thinking process of an institution through the bureaucratic mechanisms resulted in a the correct outcome to you know promulgate policies, procedures, etc. Uh, that that trust has eroded completely, and it's all started right with the with the forced consumption of emergency use authorized products. I think that was the tipping point for a lot of us. I agree, and that was right. And so we also have this issue in our military leadership when, and you and I both know this is not an easy fix because on one hand, because we have a corrupted leadership that trickles down even down to even platoon levels. But on the flip side of that, this COVID con that has come about has exposed every one of those commanders. It doesn't have the will to stand for the soldier and in turn is standing with the deep state. However you translate that. So that the one thing that I think I've and I've told people this over and over, that's a from the standpoint of the force being a republic army, not a WEF army, which is essentially what it's becoming. The one thing about the military is with proper leadership shift, that change and clean out can happen literally overnight. So I'm just curious what you see in that potential for that to be happening, because that's going to be a within situation. It's delicate. But I also know that the, a lot of the people that are out here going, well, the military is going to come in and save us. It's like the last thing the military is going to want to be seen ever is performing a coup on this nation. They w- they're only going to work. They have to start by cleaning out their own ranks. What do you see as a possibility of that yep. happening? That happening? No, fa- fantastic question. I'm going to go back to this. How long did it take the deep state to, quote unquote, cleanse our current military and national security apparatus um, of its most critical thinkers, right? They basically implemented this little EUA product mandate, which kind of transitioned from that. And so I think the most proper way to do it is one of the demands with going back to, we're going to vacate the chair. There will be no speaker. One of the demands for not having a vote constantly every day to neuter and castrate a a House of Representatives is to in time when we're going to be in the next two weeks, the National Defense Authorization Act is currently in conference between the Senate and the House conferees. Marjorie Taylor Greene happens to be one of the conferees. Now, I get it. She's she's totally a uh, Kevin McCarthy lackey at this point. But on the COVID front, she's been probably one of our biggest advocates. Her and Thomas Massey are probably the only two that I can count on my hand, maybe short of a couple others that did not consume the emergency use authorized DNA mutilation injection, right? So with that said, there needs to be, and I've I've been pushing for this with a bunch of us that you've had on, on your show. Thank you for having them on, is we're trying to convince the chairman of the COVID select subcommittee, which is part of the oversight committee, chairman representative Brad Wenstrup, to hold hearings with Congressman Jim Banks from Indiana, who chairs the subcommittee on personnel and readiness and the, on the House Armed Services Committee, to then in, have a joint hearing in the House in the, this month to bring in other senators like Ted Cruz, Ron Johnson, Tommy Tuberville, and Rand Paul to showcase through those hearings to America, this is what the Department of Defense failure ship forced on American national security when they forced compliance into consumption of these emergency use authorized products. It created individuals that were imprisoned for 130 days for failure to put at risk their health. It 
right? Catherine Arnett. Who, who else? We had individuals that had heart attacks that were in the National Guard in Virginia, right? You just had her on, right? Yes. We had, and so we go down the list of every single compelling story of Robert Green, how they weaponized against him. Why not bring in Jim Jordan? Maybe bring in his committee along with it as the the head of weaponization, exposing how the fake Secretary of Defense Austin made money for the Uniparty cabal via the forced, coerced, manipulated EUA product consumption, the DNA mutilation injections, and how that essentially pushed all these critical thinkers out. To answer your question. By having these hearings, exposing the country to the lawless activities of them, it creates the jury pool mindset and judges that consume this to say, you know what? I was duped as well. It's time for retribution. And the way we create retribution and demand for it is then initially through that NDA process, why not rename the 2024 NDA to the Lieutenant Mark Bashaw Critical Thinking Service Members Reinstatement Act. And as part of that act, we include language such as anybody that did not or that was a critical thinker and was weaponized against as a result of this COVID scheme, they are going to be reinstated, one, and they're going to be frocked up to ranks, two. And number three, any leader failure, if you will, of the DOD from acting fake secretary of defense all the way down to a corporal that leads a team is going to be removed as a general discharge at a minimum from the military for violating the Nuremberg Code by forcing another individual into accepting an emergency use authorized product against that individual's will. And that is how the nice appropriate purge of those that were toxic, feckless, stone cold coward leaders are removed from the system. And those that stood the line are going to be replaced back into the system and then elevated based on the leadership stance that they took amidst all the curated, manipulated coercion by the Brian Auten FBI supervisory intelligence analysts of the world that used their relationships to convince big tech and big media uh, to convince the nation and those failures within the DOD to accept that these products were safe and effective and they were required to be consumed. You bring up a couple of things. You go after I, all of them. I agree. And I, I think this is fantastic. I would add a couple of things just to, for your own consideration. One is you have to deal with those that have been, that got out of the service, did their deed by forcing the shot and then retired because they're there, thinking they're, they're untouchable. Because you have to extend accountability to anybody that was involved in that and damaging our soldiers. That's my opinion. Secondly, yes. and however that happens, whether it's to pull them back in and give them a general course marshals or to suspend their suspend their benefits, however that works. But there has to be consequences for that act. Secondly, I think that this gets to what General Flynn was involved in in DIA. He was, and this isn't talked enough about. 
His war in DIA was to establish DIA as the military's predominant intelligence agency and sever the ties with the CIA, which was part of his big mission, even in developing covert assets within the DIA. We have got to get a military that's military pure, that is back to the resolve of defending the Constitution and putting republic first. That is our biggest problem right now is because the politicization of the military, it has been so corrupted by the Europhile, the lover of NATO, and this garbage about some sort of global one world order presence of a, of a universal government crap that comes out of the NCR and or the CFR, excuse me, and where nearly every one of our senior officers ends up doing a tour of duty with the Rockefellers, we have got to get back to a principle of republic first. And I think what you're laying out here is a, is a pathway, and it has to happen quickly because we're in a very mm -hmm. critical area right now. They have, they have infiltrated with their pedophile elite this concept of transgenderism, which I'm brutal on which started back in 2012 and 2013. No, no, you're not brutal on they're They're killing, murdering, maiming, and destroying children in the womb, post-birth, and then when they survived the in-the-womb murder, the post-birth uh, uh, conception, then they go after those children to start mutilating them. You don't call that brutal, Scott? Oh, I mean, I love you. No, it's brutal. I want to make sure that we're using the proper language here. They are, I don't even, what word would you describe someone that just murders, maims, genocidally children? I mean, you're, you're what you're getting brutal into. Brutal is soft. You're really getting into a Nazi mentality. And, it, and this is, again, as I always say, as you know very well in information where you accuse others of what you really are to keep the deception going. So when we start hearing the idea of like Nazis and MAGA, it's only because that's who they are in their heart. And they're trying to cover themselves and keep themselves in plain sight. We're dealing with literally almost a Fourth Reich mentality that sees control of this nation. And it has to be purged brutally. Right. Sen Senator Lee was tweeting out, was it yesterday or today? I just I came across my feed today where he talks about how this acting fake Secretary Austin is pushing for three weeks of, of leave, paid leave, uh, if you go ahead and slaughter your offspring. But if you want to take leave to take care of a, a family member that's ill, nope, you got to take leave, you know, you got to use your credits and whatnot. But bottom line, what this translates into is one of the key leaders of the domestic terrorist cabal within our country is paying his employees, incentivizing his employees to go ahead and murder their employees' children. And for that, they give them three weeks of an incentive. I mean, that that is a gangster... Uh, I, I'm going to have to look at the dictionary to figure out what term to use. We might have to figure out a new term for these uh, lawless, illegitimate, brutal, thug, gangster, right? Government gangster, as Cash Patel calls them. Uh, I don't know. You tell me. You're more versed and you've been in the block well, I'm, longer I'm gonna, than I, I have. I, well, I think that we, I literally, I think we create a verb and it's just mangala. And a descriptive adjective, it's Mangala. I mean, I don't even know how else to say this because we're dealing with that level of horror on people that they mm -hmm. are willfully. And the part that is so unbelievable is they know what they're doing. There, There is, you cannot tell me 
that uh, you take this to surgeon. A surgeon's in here mutilating a child on the table. You can't tell me he doesn't have an active role in doing something he's complicit in. And there mm-hmm. is, and, and to think that that's a right way of doing things any more than Austin developing these policies like this and trying to encouraging as well the policies within the ranks of the military that are encouraging people to have their sexual transitions ha- happen at, at the taxpayer expense and to think that somehow this is going to be good for the military. I had this discussion at Fort Bliss with a senior sergeant major relative even to the sergeant major academy back in, in 2014. And the question was very simple. And this is when they were pushing out this gay transition nonsense in the sergeant majors academy, where they were forcing the sergeant majors, regardless of their position, to go through a gay pride ceremony in order to graduate. And if they didn't, they were going to pull their certificate. That was That is documented. And so you have this oh, wow. going on, corrupting the entire senior NCO ranks with this mentality, being blackmailed to go through this. And so then you have this next question, which is, okay, what are you going to do about the supply chain logistics now? Because in this, at the same time, they're doing exercises in the field at Fort Bliss. They have one individual that's transitioning at that point in time. This is 2014. Okay. One individual. The supply talking about chain, mutilating, self-mutilation? Right. They're taking the hormone therapy eventually to, have the, to, have the, uh, to end up having the surgery. So consider the supply chain logistics of having to maintain this one soldier just through their hormone stuff, of what it requires in the logistics back end of that to keep their hormone drugs going. Because if they don't keep their hormone drugs going, you end up with, and not exaggerating, a potential active shooter in within your ranks. That is a true statement by the consequence of suddenly breaking from these hormone therapies. This insurgency that has been happening here is so deadly to our ranks, and it is so volatile Mm-hmm. And it is one of the reasons that I have been so brutal on it because it has nothing to do with national security. It has everything with degrading the military force. And it's time that we take an aggressive action to reset our military. We set our military back with proper leadership towards the eyes of the republic. The entire world shakes. And I'm not kidding because you start to mm-hmm. see re- really that America's coming back. And it's one of the most pivotal points. If it wasn't, Obama would not have put in so much emphasis of trying to corrupt the military and use it as a change agent, which wasn't just to mainstream ideas. It was literally to change America by using the military as a vehicle to work against its own principles and values. I I don't know what to say other than say I agree with you. <laughs> uh with basically everything you said. And the only times that I slightly disagree is that I would use a little bit more uh, precise language to describe the enemy. Uh, the enemy is absolutely ruthless. They've already, I mean, let, let, let's let's count how many murders they've, they've conducted. So they've been complicit in the fentanyl murders of about 80, average, what, 80,000 a year. Uh, children are murdered every year. China, Mexican drug cartels. So if you're just sitting watching it happen, then you're complicit, right? or dereliction of duty, if you're a governmental actor or law enforcement, or a politician, especially on the border, whether it's a Doug Ducey, right? Because uh, has has Arizona done anything to push back and repel against the, the wave of people coming into Arizona? Texas has, California hasn't, New Mexico hasn't, Arizona hasn't, and the current illegitimate executive uh, branch of our federal government hasn't. So those are listed individuals as part of the of who we need to go after next up is 
they under the Mike Pence senior employee of the White House Corona Task Force, Anthony Fraudchi funded Wuhan Institute of Virology. Depending on what numbers you believe, allegedly, if you use their numbers, how many people have been injured and then murdered as it as it uh, relates to the Wuhan instant incident, right? Right. Also, a group of people that need to be held to account. And then after that, all those that were involved in making money hand over fist due to the emergency use authorized products. And then to wrap it up with what you're saying about like who is making money off of promoting the chemical uh, consumption that creates the self mutilation mindset of these people? Like it's a medical procedure. So there's an entire industry that was created in order to do so as another line of a rev revenue stream to make money off of people. So you basically convince through social media, foreign and domestic colluders, to make people think that mutilating yourself, you know, slap, lopping off a penis, slapping on a vagina uh, is is a good course of action. And then you apply that to the military and say, oh, that that's that's cool in the military, too. Meanwhile, it's des destroying our readiness. But at the end of the day, who does it benefit? It's always about the money. And so when people are exposed to follow the science spelled with a dollar sign instead of an S, mm -hmm. spelled with a C cent sign instead of a C, and the E's are euros instead of an E, people see it for what it is. It's a money-making scheme that benefits those that are involved in that revenue stream but yet it destroys our society, it destroys our national security, and it really destroys our our community, like society and, and all the way down. And the only way to reject it and, and push back against it, like you said, it's the local action, having people understand what's going on, push back, create consequences at the local level. Like when, I, when I talked about consequences from Mike Pence from the coronavirus task force all the way down to each school board member that voted in 2020 and 2021 and beyond to force a lung asphyxiation device known as a face toilet. Some people pronounce as a, as a mask to a nose rape and, you know, device. Some people pronounce it as a PCR test or whether it be the EUA DNA mutilators. If any school board basically voted, hey, in order to receive the CDC money, we're going to go ahead and force these uh, the consumption of these products, all those school board members, even if this, by the way, even if that didn't pass in that particular school board, all the school board members that voted for it need to be held to count. And if it did happen to pass, and people were injured as a result of the face toilets, the nose rapes, or the DNA mutilators. Well, guess what? <laughs> You're part of the defendant package for Nuremberg 2.0, folks. Sorry. You're the one that volunteered for it. I'm here to be your secretary of retribution. Fully agree. I mean, this is the pathway is awesome that you've laid out. Let's talk about practical and real because. It is, I think everybody can bite on this that has any sort of conscience of what's happened and a love for the Republic. I think the question that people ask that are 
how can this really happen? Because it's there's so much doubt in the and so much lack of faith in our government, which unfortunately, and this is a very dangerous and slippery slope, because where we're being herded into right now is to completely distrust government. So that I and we're already seeing it. This is what part of Maui's about is to turn into an AI governance model to replace the human, and that's that's the whole bigger 2030 agenda. So. Really, I think the in part this is a complex question. I'm just going to let you roll with it. But not only is it an under, to kind of get an understanding of how these pathways are possible, but I think is a greater message. And part of this is I hope people are hearing is your lack of taking action and speaking out is perpetuating a greater problem, which is the mm-hmm. lack of faith in people. Which we need to restore that, and that's only going to happen by the people like yourself. And others that are standing up here speaking truth constantly to say, look, I don't care the consequence. Here's the truth. Here's the facts. Now get off your butt and start getting involved. Absolutely. So you, you probably hear it just like I do. Everybody's complaining, hey, this is supposed to be this other person's supposed to do this or this member of Congress, this. Anytime you catch yourself and saying, hey, I, I've identified the problem. I know who's supposed to fix it. If you if you're not making sure that the individual with the discretionary authority uh, is not moving in the direction of fixing it, then you're part of the problem because you're not sending off the demand signal. One. Two, when that individual or group of people is not doing what should happen in order to autocorrect the situation, then you need to look at yourself in the mirror and say, what do I need to do to create the necessary pain and pressure to make sure that this happens? And sometimes that may look something like, I mean, look how effective it was for a, a small, petite, four foot ten woman, 85, 90 pounds, that's a mom of one, two, three, whatever, and goes to the local school board and says, I've had enough. In Iowa, remember uh, the mama bears in mm-hmm. Iowa? Yep. What did they do? Literally three people, single, well, one, two, three technically single-handedly made made a piece of content that was so compelling and emotional that it essentially pushed the governor of Iowa, Kim Reynolds, to lift the, the, the face mandate that occurred. Like, that's simple. All you have to do is show up because when, like, how are you going to go up against somebody that's on the school board, a leftist Marxist that's mutilated themselves, that don't even have children themselves, and then a mom or a dad shows up and says, hey, I've had enough, and this is what's going to happen. And guess what? My children are more important than, i got to be careful how I say it, Your, I'll put it this way, my children are more important than your future take that for what it's worth, right? Right. Meaning I am willing to go kind of primal as a mammal to protect my child at all costs. And right there, you cross the line. You cross the line by forcing a medical procedure that I'm not cool with by mutilating them. Oh, you want to mutilate my child? How about you start with yourself? You lead by example by mutilating your entire neck. I'm not threatening anything. I'm just suggesting what you're suggesting onto my own child. Why don't you start with that school board member, X, Y, Z, 
And so to wrap this kind of part up is like, I'm doing what I can. I'm going up there every day grinding. And when they're not going as fast as I think should be necessary, then we create more pressure. Luckily I have, I mean, you're giving me a platform. This is going to reach a lot of people. I'm getting, you know, I'm gaining more and more leverage. And it's not because I'm any better, any better than anyone else. People are giving me a platform. This kind of goes to people that don't have a platform. The way that we get a platform is because we're putting in the work and people are identifying that I'm sitting on information and network and relationships that no one else has that they want to amplify. So if you can get into that position, for those that are making content, if you're going to be bold enough to go and do something and confront a school board, confront your local county executive, confront your local official, I don't care what party, to tell them what needs to happen, I'd be happy to share it on all my platforms, right? Because you've you've earned my attention and time by putting the risk in. And it motivates me to actually, let's face it, Scott, when you see someone else doing something, it's like, ooh, that's a good idea. And that was bold. And, and you look at yourself like, well, I'm a grown man. I'm, I, you know, I consider myself an alpha man. When this petite woman is like, I had enough. Like you got, you have this mantra. Like grown men that are listening in. Don't look to your left and right. Look in the mirror and decide for yourself. Why, what can I do right now today to correct this complete lawless illegitimacy that is being pushed on us both externally, domestically, by these absolute criminal actors. We, you should realize by now, especially if you're a listener to this, no one's coming to save you. There is, if you want the military to save you, okay, you can technically say us retirees, right? If you want to loosely make truthful your thought that the military is coming in to save you, it's not. Grow a pair and push forward. Yeah, that's well said. Absolutely. All right. So, what's what? What have you not covered that you want to dig into today? Because we covered a lot of ground. <laughs> so, I think I want to close with this, Scott. Two things, and it's not really we've covered it, but uh, I want to summarize. So, actually, three points. If you're anywhere in the J six community. In order to get to truth and justice, you have to apply maximum pressure by going to the U.S. Capitol Police website and then start to identify who the Capitol Police General Counsel is, Thomas Tobias, and ask him if you're an attorney and a defendant, give me full access to the tapes, give me full access to all your communications as it relates to my criminal referral. Not mine, but like the people calling it. And then that's going to be the start there. And the way I think you start that is to go ahead and go into the if are you able to screen share? No, because you're this is the audio podcast. Right. We can get some stuff up on the web, website. So tell me what So you're... if you go to the Wayback Machine, type in US Capitol Police dot or USCP.gov, click on the 2021 uh for the year 2021, click on the part where it's in January 29th, scroll all the way to the bottom of that page. And then click on January 7th to January 14th. It's a PDF that sends out the weekly criminal report, uh, weekly uh, arrest report that the Capitol Police did. Use that to try to determine what your case file is, J6 defendant, on what the original charge was. 
because the original charge is the least doctored and manipulated uh, probable cause that was used by the Capitol Police officer that decided to charge you with something based on their observations that day. It's the least corrupted uh, version of what a law enforcement entity thought that you did that day. And then set that through chronologically to identify who was involved in taking it from a misdemeanor trespass all the way up to your seditious conspiracy 22-year charge. When you identify all those individuals and then co compile everybody that was communicating with each other, you're going to prove or disprove, I doubt it, you're going to prove of all the political bias and doctor manipulated content that was added on to make sure that you got a 100% practically conviction rate for your charges. That's number one. Number two, we have to vacate Kevin McCarthy. At this point, he's proven he's doing nothing. He's part of the protection of the regime and the system that's been put in place. They, you know, He was anointed so that he would be the one participating in the uh, protection of the system. He needs to be ejected. And the way we do that is we have to get behind. Matt Gates is the only one that has exhibited any minimal, minuscule sense of courage within the House. And it's not to replace him with someone. It is to castrate the legislative process so that they realize we mean business and we have the power to literally castrate the entire cabal. We can't replace them, but we can castrate you. And if, if I can remember number three, Nuremberg 2.0. The way we get to Nuremberg 2.0 is we have to get those members of Congress, Wenstrup, who's on COVID Select Chairman, Jim Banks, Personnel and Readiness, we have to at this point show to America that the vaccine mandate within the DOD was unlawful. When we, when the country realizes that it was unlawful, Nuremberg 2.0 can finally start. How do you see as a pathway for Trump to legitimately get elected? Because what I've been saying here, and I'm really honest, I've been saying that we're probably not going to have an election, that there's going to be my anticipation is there's going to be a pretty formidable collapse and reclaiming of our military. And in looking at this outcome of these of these illegal trials, mm -hmm. that it's just going to be decided, may not put the finger on the specific crime or that say that he won, but rather they'll default to the fact that he was the president and the election was stolen so that he would be put into office there by that process and that we really won't have a true 2024 election. That's my personal opinion. I don't even know if, if that's the pathway, but that's where I'm seeing it go. Yeah, so this, uh, putting my uh, analyst hat on, so what's the most probable course of action of the enemy, and what's the most dangerous? I'll frame it that way, if that's all right. Mm -hmm. So my assessment is the most probable course of action is they're going to continue to use the the levels of discretionary power that they have and beyond to make sure that Trump does not secure the primary. And this is how specifically that they're going to do it. Oh, I've said, I said this a year ago and a lot of it's coming to fruition now. So like a lot of people are like, well, I already know about it because it came out in the last couple of days, weeks. Number one, they're going to use the court system 
to criminalize Trump, right? What does that do? That bogs him down. His fundraising is not focused on winning and securing an election. It's focused more on just defending himself in the courts. So it's puts him, you know, puts him on his heels, if you will. That's what normal people it would do to, right? Number two, the state, the parties of the uh, the GOP of the different states are going to try to make it so that he is not on the ballot through the party rulemaking system so that he can't secure delegates. If he does get on the ballot in those states because of the pushback within the grassroots and the patriots, then they'll let him on the ballot, but then they're going to allocate the delegates, not winner take all, they're going to bifurcate it. In states that are where the government officials are Democrats, the, the like for example, California, right? Newsom and the, the supermajority trifecta Democrat states are going to pass laws that block Trump from appearing on the ballot, which will impact his primary and general election opportunities. So what does that mean for Mike Pence and the rest of the gang? They're on the ballot, right? So then people are like, oh, Trump's not on the ballot. I'm going to vote for Pence or whoever else you want to choose. So then those individuals, California has a lot of delegates, right? So they're going to take those delegates and apply it to the requisite. You need a, a 1,234 delegates. Yes, one, two, three, four. <laughs> in order to secure the majority of the Republican delegates to be considered the nominee under the RNC rules. That's the other mechanism that they use. And in states where you have rep, you know, re majority Republicans, particularly New Hampshire, Governor Sununu is the governor of New Hampshire. He is a Pence lackey, right? Uh, there, in addition... Even if all of that doesn't take place, additionally to what I just mentioned, certain individuals are going to make sure that they're going to use all their discretionary authority that run private institutions to make sure that it they do everything in their power to not to tip the scale against Trump. So wh who are what are those private institutions? Number one, the RNC. Number two. Faux news. Some people pronounce it Fox. Number three, deviant voting systems, right? You heard of that election machine infrastructure company? And then another company called LHS. So deviant voting systems is headquartered in Colorado, right? LHS is headquartered in New Hampshire. Well, uh, deviant voting systems runs elections in some way, shape, or form in 28 states of the 50. LHS runs elections and uses the same software that uh, of deviant voting systems in six other states. And those are that company, again, headquartered in New Hampshire. The governor is Chris Sununu. His father used to be the governor of New Hampshire, John Sununu, who used to be the chief of staff for George H.W. Bush when he was the president. OK, just doing some link analysis here. When you look at John Sununu. In 1970s is when the LHS company was giving a given authority to be the uh, temporarily the voting machine company for voting in New Hampshire. Okay, the longest standing Secretary of State in the country, just finally retired, was the Secretary of State in New Hampshire. So deep state, much yes, but what I'm getting at here is. 
the person with the most outsized influence on LHS that runs elections in New Hampshire, Massachusetts, Maine, Vermont, uh, Rhode Island, uh, what did I miss? All, all six of the New England states is Sununu and the Sununu family. So if phone news, the RNC, and those two private companies through their influencers, Sununu, Eric Coomer out there, are told, hey, buddy, we're gonna do we're gonna give you a seven hundred and eighty-seven million dollar investment. I'm talking about Paul Ryan and Rupert Murdoch's, remember? Fox mm -hmm. News. Mm -hmm. Just gave what people call a bribe to Dominion. They gave him a seven hundred and eighty-seven million dollar quote settlement. I'd like to see the terms of that settlement. Does it have something to the effect of you are going to create an electoral outcome of our choosing in the primary for that $787 million? And in order to protect you legally from any litigation for manipulating the election, me, Paul Ryan, I'm going to call my buddy Robin Voss, who's the Speaker of the House of Wisconsin, who also has a lot of influence amongst the state legislatures because he just got done being the president of the National Conference of State Legislatures. And he's going to go ahead and make sure that the rhino Republican legislatures throughout the states, particularly in Arizona, Wisconsin, Georgia, New Hampshire, and if we can secure a rhino victory trifecta in Virginia in 2023, then Virginia... We're going to make sure that those legislatures pass laws that say, and maybe other states, that whatever the adjudicative outcome of the Dominion voting or, the, or of the machines in those states is, is final. And there's no legal process that anybody can do to challenge it. So think about this, Scott. If the laws say that whatever the adjudicative outcomes of the machines is, is final, and then phone news basically in the court of public opinion legitimizes the electoral outcome so that people are convinced, oh, look, Mike Pence is the actual winner of the primary in 2024. What mechanism do we have to counter that? At this point, none. Not, in, not, in the, not with that sort of magnitude. Other than we have the upswell of hopefully alternate media. That's, that's the, I'm glad you said it. So that is their most probable course of action. Mm -hmm. And it's all within their discretionary authority, right? Right. They're maximizing their cabal uniparty interests with the political power and leverage that they have. So the, the most dangerous course of action I alluded to, should Trump in some way, shape, or form pass and still circumvent that, we're looking at a situation of what happened to Robert F. Kennedy, right? Yep. John, F. John Kennedy, F. Kennedy, yep. Martin Luther King Jr. Because, like I said before, it's 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 survival. We are an ex existential threat to what they've just conducted on us over the last six, seven years, eight years, nine years. Now, there is a way out of this. And I've kind of outlined this, and we're already seeing some of the initial phases of it. The way we circumvent, and you alluded to it with this, this last statement, 
the way we get out of this is we have to bankrupt the three levers that we just talked about, the legislatures that are going to provide cover for the machines to those private companies, and then the communications channel that is covering up for that activity, which is faux. So we have to bankrupt faux news. This is for in the run-up to the primary. Later, we're going to have to do the same thing with the, the other actors. But first and foremost, into the primary. Faux news, we have to bankrupt them. How do we do it? I only do interviews on independent free speech, long form content creators like yourself, right? Mm -hmm. Exclusively. I get hit up by all these scumbags. Guess what? I don't even respond to them. When I, if I were to list the names of their those companies, people are like, what? That's big. Why don't you do it? Guess what? No. Because I'm perpetuating their existence by even spending one second on their platform. Mm-hmm. And that takes away one second from being able to uh, spend my time with you, right? So that's that's number one. Number two, we have to basically use that medium to convince the country that the machines do not put us in a position as a society to be able to manipulate at, manipulate at scale what you collectively society are voting for with the actual outcome. Because you put in a machine in there, right? You can at scale manipulate it. So look, let's, why not move off of machines? And then why not convince the legislature to pass laws to do so? Here's how we do it. Why not have, and this was more impactful before the first debate that was hosted by Faux News and, and the RNC. Basically, my plan and strategy is we have to create content where more people view it and consume it at the same time that the faux news RNC debates are happening. There's going to be four more. So what happened during the first one? It's exactly what I was recommending to the people that have decision-making power. Why not have, this was my initial strategy. Why not have the first fired side chat during debate one be Mike Lindell talking about melting in the machines with two people, the A-list candidates for president in their personal capacity, though. So it's not violating any rules of the DNC and RNC. You have Donald Trump with the fireside chat with RFK Jr. as Mike Lindell steps them through a multiple-hour conversation of what's the downside of going to one-day in-person paper ballot hand count voter ID voting. And at the conclusion of that conversation, explaining to the audience on Lindell TV, on Frank's speech, on Getter, on Truth Social, on Rumble. This is who your member of state rep and state senator is. This is how you get a hold of them. And this is what you need to convey to them so that they move off of the machines. How many people are going to watch a A-list discussion between RFK and Trump? A lot more than <laughs> right. phone news, right? Still can Everybody's be. Everybody's going to want to watch that, right? Still can be, yep. And then guess what that does to that audience? It's the first time that they ever even heard of Frank's speech. Getter. Rumble. Truth Social. But then they're like, ah, all right, I'll just watch it for this. But now you open up, you open them up to an entire distribution of content that they were never exposed to before. And now you're bringing them into the free speech matrix off of the curated, manipulated FBI legacy, big tech mainstream media BS. What do you do for 
what do you do during the second debate? Why not have a Steve Bannon or an Alex Jones host a topical discussion on CCP takeover American institutions? Same two people, Trump and Kennedy. That would be the next topic. And it wakes up now millions, tens of millions of people, right? And then what about the third one? Let's talk about, I don't know, let's bring in Tucker, which we already did. But then Tucker should talk about all of his findings about January 6th between RFK and Trump and expose the Yogananda Pittmans, the Ted DeBiases, the Mangers, the Fedsurrection coup. Because Tucker, when you look at the topic and who's best suited with the biggest audience to express that topic, that's who we want is the sweet spot, right? So Mike Lindell with the machine stuff. Then uh, Steve Bannon or, or Alex Jones, right, with the CCP stuff. Probably Steve Bannon is in a better position. And then number three, Tucker, right, as it applies to January 6th. What about number four? How about we have Joe Rogan hosting a fireside chat at the same time that the RNC is doing their B-list debate, right? These are all happening concurrently. And why not? What do you think Joe Rogan should talk about? Horse dewormer, maybe? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and all the things related to Nuremberg 2.0? He'd be on board. Well, okay, so let's just say on the first three, I would suspect Trump's probably going to win those first three debates. Uh, RFK might pull that one off because he's in the best position to understand all the detail and nuances of the horse dewormer, the Fauci. And in that discussion, I'd suspect that RFK could expose Mike Pence and his role on the White House Corona Task Force without Trump having to do so. And then maybe Jared Kushner can get thrown into that mix of being involved in that money-making scheme. And then it's going to be like, oh, that's why my son-in-law has been doing all this stuff. Interesting, <laughs> right? <laughs> and then the last, I mean, think of 100 million viewers. Well, we already saw 250 million, right? Or 300 million with the first Tucker thing. Yep. So you're going to see more and more, especially with an RFK in there. And I think the last one to close everything out going into the primary is literally this this is the the nuke bombshell. Imagine Elon Musk hosting a fireside chat between RFK and Trump. That'd be some. But the topic talks about censorship and essentially Twitter files 2.0. Imagine just before. <laughs> now, by, by the way, before I finish this part, because this is huge. <laughs> I've already thought this through. This is how we're going to win it. <laughs> You're loving this, right? The oh, suspense. Yeah. This is good. <laughs> Keep going, dragging it out. I've thought this through. I've thought this through, homie. <laughs> <laughs> so as we are doing these debates, notice that it's host, two people that everybody wants to listen to, and then the platform. So the first one we talked about with Lindell Frank's speech, we talked about Real America's Voice and maybe a Getter and Bannon stuff, right? And then we talk about Tucker and, yes, Twitter, but we're also exposing people to Rumble, right? All these free speech platforms because it's going to be live streamed on there as well. Joe Rogan, right? Spotify and then uh, the other free speech platforms. So we're pulling people off of the traditional corporate funded media, thus bankrupting them. And then the last one is where I would like to see 
Elon Musk, hopefully he gives me access to the Twitter accounts of the 60 that provided cover for the Biden criminal syndicate laptop. The 39 individuals that unmasked General Flynn, any and all DOJ, FBI, CDC, Health and Human Services, uh, DHS, DOD, everyone that was involved in the censorship scheme, the COVID agenda, the Eric Cheramella whistleblowing, you know, from his attorneys, etc. How about Elon Musk release? all of their content. And then the topic of discussion for that last debate, or I should say last discussion while the RNC debate's going on is where Elon Musk asks questions like, Hey, this is what I found uh, doing a link analysis of everyone that was involved in the illegal defrauding in the FISA court moving forward based on looking at all their Twitter accounts, which as the CEO of Twitter or the chairman, I just changed my policy because I can and released it all because there's no violation there, right? And it's not classified because it's their internal communications that they did on his platform. Can you imagine what will be disclosed? Like, think about it. John Brennan has a Twitter account. Yeah. Peter Strzok has a Twitter account. And so on and so forth. What is in their internal DMs, Mr. Scott? What about in the collective of all those people that I've written about in my Substack? Why don't we just take all of their collective Twitter accounts and show what discussions were had? I suspect we're going to get a little bit closer to the truth, and it's going to prove that Trump was right on everything. <laughs> it should be good. And RFK Jr. was right on everything as it relates to COVID. And so then at the end, all we have to do with Elon Musk is say, hmm, since RFK is not being allowed to debate the illegitimate one in the White House, since Donald Trump is not allowed on the ballot anywhere, when you go to vote, it's spelled T-R-U-M-P when you write it in. And if you decide to vote for Kennedy, it's, it's with two N's. So the way we circumvent the entire scheme is Elon Musk basically saying, hey, whoever you want to vote for, just write it in. It's funny you came to that conclusion because I'm, I'm going to be honest. I have talked about this, that the only way to circumvent the system is to do write-ins. Yes. Because it changes the entire process the way the algorithm works. And it changes the scanner's ability to function. It just, just destroys it. It, it's perfect. Oh. Yeah, that, that's the critical note. It's awesome. It's simple but brilliant. <clears throat> it is. I love it. You know, I totally agree. I've actually talked about this. It's a nice setup. And if Elon Musk puts it out, I mean, come on. He's got 100, what, 50, 60, 70 million followers now. Like, yep. if he puts something out, especially if it's with those two individuals, I mean, we're, we're looking at half a billion. We're looking at probably a billion views on that discussion. Oh, easy. Globally. And if, yeah. if it's going to expose the DOJ uniparty cabal, everybody, two billion views easily. It changes the entire national conversation like that. And people are like, oh, yeah, Kennedy's spelled easy. So is Trump. And then that way, uh, what's his name? Elon Musk still looks like he's like, you know, trying to be uh, well, effectively, an arbiter, not leaning in one way or did the you other. See, did you see his tweet today? It's pretty interesting. No. It's powerful. Uh, let's see if I can pull it up here real quick. Because 
want to read it to you because it ties right into this position that you're talking about. And I think it's very, very critical that that we pay attention to these things. Um, what he announced this morning, hang on just a second, I've got to find it, um, was this. And it, this is how it read. It's, um, there was an emergency request from government authorities to activate Starlink all the way to Sevastopol, which is the Russian area where they do ships. The obvious mm-hmm. intent being to sink most of the Russian fleet at anchor. If I had agreed to their request, then SpaceX would be explicitly complicit in a major act of war and com- conflict escalation. To your point, he is taking a neutral role. He is not just complying, which is quite a fascinating thing. And, and this is a, we'll have to table this for a future conversation. But the fact that he is so heavily funded by DOD and the fact that he's taken a position like this, because Starlink is partly funded by DOD, as is his SpaceX program. It's a fascinating thing that he has that level of autonomy. And so I, I'm, it's begging some big questions of leadership and agreements that sit within him and who's really tied to Elon Musk. I, and I say this from a very positive point of view. Not all are yeah. bad. And so there is something, that was a relatively, uh, that was absolutely a great decision that he made that was able to happen. Right, because he has a lot of conflicting relationships and interests, but I, I put it, a lot of people like, do you trust Elon Musk? Like, it's not about trust, it's about is he making the right decisions to allow for free speech? And so far, he has leaned in that direction. Now, granted, there are still some nefarious actors within his organization known as X now that probably are not in line with that. And so he still has to continue to monitor that and root it out. The biggest thing that he can do to prove himself to be a free speech guy, other than short of, you know, allowing... um, Alex Jones back on Twitter, but is to allow for what I just recommended, have a discussion and release basically a Twitter files 2.0 that exposes the rot in our government and corruption system of previous national security, deep state actors of which, you know, I've already listed, I've identified several hundred people. If he takes those names takes their Twitter accounts. And I go, I get it, it's bad precedent. But let's be honest, for the good of the country, to expose this, the coup plotting and planning that was taking place, it's literally the counterstrike to what the weaponized, illegitimate government is doing against us right now. It, I think it neuters them, especially depending on what he's sitting on. That's why they were so scared when he took over Twitter. I'm sure there was... Some, I'm sure there was some activity that was going on by the former general counsel Vijaya Gade and then Jim Baker to start the destruction of evidence so that these things wouldn't come out. But if it's still somewhere out there that can be forensically regained, I think Elon Musk, because of that, has more leverage than the entire federal government and the collective because he's sitting on all that internal data and documentation to be able to blackmail all of them. That's excellent. That's it. And those are the pathways. That's excellent. So we always close with a prayer. I'm going to close with a prayer. That's good. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Father, God, I just want to thank you today for this time with Ivan Ranklin, who's just once again 
bringing truth not just to the point of seeing the truth and, and clarity into the light, but greater, providing a message of strength to bring people up, to raise their hearts in the warrior in Christ, to start being bold in this critical hour. Father, we just pray for the continued protection and, and success of, of Ivan and all, of he do, all that he does, to continue to speak that truth to power, to continue to have his voice heard and echoed to the, the chambers and hallways of our capital, and to continue to be that critical influencer that can inspire, raise up, and help lead this nation forward in a critical hour. Bless him, protect his family, and keep him on this path. And we say these things in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Great interview. I've been investigated 19 times across DOD, DOJ, DHS, and the January 6th committee. Mm -hmm. 19. And I went into every single instance of it and how I'm investigating them. That's how I'm able to survive because I've identified each person. And then uh, let's just say they get a note when something is identified within their background or of themselves or their family that they don't want to be outed. And so they have to come up with the choice of, do I listen to the Biden regime to try to weaponize against Ivan or do I face Ivan's exposure of me? And so they kind of have to slow walk or do nothing. <laughs> That's totally awesome. Well, bless you, man. That was an awesome interview. Thank you. Well, Patriots, that was Ivan Raiklin, and probably just one of the most intense, ruthless fighters we've ever had in D.C. Long interview, but worth every bit of it. If you haven't had time to stay with all of it, go back and re-listen. It's too difficult in, in something of this rich a content to split it, and it really doesn't do it justice. Now, remember, tonight there's no Fishers of Ben. We'll be back I'll be back tomorrow for Bended Knee, and hopefully, if all goes right, I'll be on site with Bended Knee with Bards Fest in Flemingsburg, Kentucky. So Patriots, keep your head up and your eyes forward. Never bow to evil. Never relent. Always press into the fight. God is with us. He'll never forsake us. And in the end, God always wins. But we are here in this time, in this place, for just such a time as this. We are at war. So walk boldly and fearlessly with Christ. Occupy the land. Expand the kingdom. Subdue the enemy. Mission forward. Prayers up for all those traveling tonight. Be safe. We look forward to seeing everybody at Bards Fest or online. Until then or until the next time, God bless. Good night. Thank you. And out for now. We shall pay any price, bear any burden, meet any hardship, support any friend, oppose any foe, to assure the survival and the success of liberty. Every thoughtful citizen who despairs of war and wishes to bring peace should begin by looking inward, by examining his own attitude towards the possibilities of peace. Too many of us think it is impossible. Too many think it is unreal, but that is a dangerous, defeatist belief. It leads to the conclusion that war is inevitable, that mankind is doomed, that we are gripped by forces we cannot control. We need not accept that view. Our problems are man-made, therefore they can be solved by man, and man can be as big as he wants. No problem of human destiny is beyond human beings. 
Man's reason and spirit have often solved the seemingly unsolvable, and we believe they can do it again. Surely the opening vistas of space promise high costs and hardships, as well as high reward. So it is not surprising that some would have us stay where we are a little longer, to rest, to wait. But this city of Houston, this state of Texas, this country of the United States was not built by those who waited and rested and wished to look behind them. This country was conquered by those who move forward, and so will space. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other thing, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Because that challenge is one that we're willing to accept. The energy, the faith, the devotion, which we bring to this endeavor, will light our country and all who serve it. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. thousands of years to show its face. It has only one intent, to destroy God's light and to enslave. It has no scruples, it has no rules but one, to win at any cost. But we will never bow, for we are the remnant that will hold the line. This is war. We fight. Push. We climb. We never give in. We become the nightmare that evil didn't know could exist. We pray. We stand. We live by the words in God we trust. We fear nothing. We are the light that can never be extinguished. We are patriots. We are the digital army that will help deliver God's wrath. <laughs> 